Hello again. <laughs> it's still me. I wanted to like just like spin around real quick, and they wouldn't let me do that. So, um, so uh, it was about four o'clock yesterday afternoon uh, when I received this uh, text and a phone call from Pastor Noel. Uh, and he was informing me that the symptoms that he had been experiencing, he did test positive for COVID, uh, which means the sermon that he prepared for today uh, will have to wait for another day. Uh, so please keep uh, Pastor Noel in your prayers along with our music director, Ryan Weber. They were traveling together and uh, both are going to be in quarantine, resting and hopefully recovering from COVID for the time being. And so in keeping with our Onward We Stumble series, your grace is appreciated as we uh, uh, are going to have the inevitable stumbles that happen whenever there's a last minute change of plans. By the way, uh, Micah and Sarah, Ryan and his band were planning to lead this weekend, and Micah and Sarah, who have been leading us, wonderful job. Let's give them a big round of applause. Micah is one of our interns here and at last minute they stepped in and did are doing a phenomenal job so let's see what the lord has for us today uh, a few weeks ago um kaylee who is our new student ministries lead um here at the holt venue asked me if i sorry if i would be willing to speak at one of the middle school and one of the high school gatherings uh this fall and i i did i did student ministry for like 28 years so i was very excited about this uh um uh, her asking me to do it the date i was assigned to do those teachings is today um, and the Bible chapter that Kaylee gave me was Mark chapter three. They're going through the entire gospel of Mark with all the middle school kids and all the high school kids this fall, which is awesome. That, by the way, is something we are going to do as a whole church family after the new year. We're going to work our way through uh, the gospel of Mark together. And there's this story at the beginning of Mark chapter 3 that has really been just sort of kind of just bouncing around in my head. And I've been thinking about it and reflecting on it in a new way. I was familiar with the story, but I've really been studying it and thinking about it. And that story uh, will guide our time together this morning and also my time with the middle school folks and the high school folks uh, this evening. And here's uh, the story. It's in Mark chapter 3 in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse Jesus, they, and we're going to find out here that the they is the Pharisees. Mark's going to tell us here in a moment. They were watching Jesus closely to see whether he would heal the man on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. And then he said to them, this is the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger, he was grieved at the hardness of their hearts and told the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Immediately, the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against Jesus, how they might kill him. So I've been thinking a lot about how we stumble with choices. 
Webster's Dictionary defines a choice as the act of making a decision between uh, when, you, when you're faced with two or more possibilities, right? And our lives uh, essentially consist of a never-ending sequence of choices. If you just think about it, you wake up in the morning and your mind begins weighing your choices, right? Should I stay in this bed? Yes. Or should I get out of this bed, right? And so you decide to stay in the bed. Well, how long should I stay in this bed? That's a choice. What should I do while I'm laying here? Should I maybe read or you know, check my phone or should I pray or maybe I should go back to sleep? But if I do that, I might miss my first class. Maybe I should skip my first class. And so you have all this, it just starts right away. You just have this sequence of choices um, on and on throughout the day. We weigh our options and then we decide what to do and, and what to say and, and which route to take and who to spend time with and who to avoid. And the sum of these choices just comprises uh, the days and weeks and months and years of our lives. Some choices are made for us, right? Some choices are almost inconsequential and some choices are life-altering, but that's kind of the way our lives unfold. And when it comes to choices, we all stumble, in fact, just to make sure we're all on the same playing field here this morning, here's what I want us to do. Everyone, just take a moment, and I want you to think about a bad choice that you have made at some point in your life, okay? Just think about it. Don't look to the side or anything like that. Just don't say it out loud, right? You were faced with two or more possibilities. You made a decision, and if you had to do it over again, you would definitely make a different choice, Right? Everyone have an example in your head? Everybody good? Maybe many examples, right? Okay, on the count of three, we're all going to say our bad choice out loud together at... No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. That's probably what I'll do with the students tonight, though. See, the truth is we've all made regrettable choices and we'll all do it again because we're stumblers, right? That's the series. And at the very same time, this is an area where growth is both possible and needed. God has given us the wisdom of his word, which includes the example of the life and teaching of his son, Jesus, as a template, as, as a kind of a grid through which we can choose to filter our decisions when we're faced with choices so that our choices can more consistently align with God's will and bringing glory to God. See, often when we stumble with choices, it's because we either consciously or unconsciously prioritize ourselves ahead of the clear teaching of God's word, right? We're either unaware of the biblical commands and principles that may apply to the choice, or we, we just don't think about them, or maybe we're very aware of the commands and principles that apply, but we just choose to ignore them, right? We know exactly what we're doing sometimes. That's called sin, right? The Bible says, to him who knows the right thing to do, but chooses not to do it, to that one it is sin, and I think this interaction that Jesus has at the beginning of Mark 3 uh, is, is helpful to us as we think about this idea of choices. So let's take a look, 
beginning again here in, in, in Mark 3, verse 1. It says, Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. Now, synagogue is actually a Greek word. It's their word for gathering. Uh, um, the uh, son is together. The, the ago means bring, and so son, ago, synagogue. It's a place where Jewish people are brought together, where they gather together for community and for worship and for studying the Bible together. So this was a room full of people who believed in God. These were followers of God in the synagogue, or at least they claimed to believe in God. And the other part that that resonated with me about this first verse was about two months ago, I was playing basketball and I I had someone elbow me right here on the back of of my left hand. And it was maybe like fractured and the torn leg. I don't know. It's not even close to being healed two months later. It's all tight and sore and it like gets crunchy when it's cold outside. It's no good. And so I identify with this withered hand guy uh, because I, am that guy. This is my withered hand that I can't really bend it the right way. It's just not there yet. So, so uh, it says in verse two, in order to accuse Jesus, they, and again, Mark is referring to the, the Pharisees. They were watching him closely to see whether he would heal the withered hand guy on the Sabbath. Now that is super weird to me. Because um, think about what's happening there. They're in this. Imagine if that was happening in this room right now. If you were, you know, we're we're, we're having a, a, like a worship service. There's teaching. It's community building. And then there was like a group of people over here, and they were just like, what? You know, they weren't participating in the time of worship. They were instead trying to to do something else. And the thing they're trying to do normally when you're try- looking to accuse someone. Um, it's when they've done something harmful, right? These guys are studying Jesus's every move, hoping to catch him in the act of healing, which is weird, right? And so what's going on here? Why are they, what, you know, what's the, why, why does this tension exist? In the first century Jewish culture, there were different schools of thought on how to rank biblical commands when they came into conflict with one another. And so like keeping the Sabbath, this is happening, the Sabbath day, it's, it, it, they're in the synagogue, it's a Saturday morning, the Sabbath, Friday sunset until Saturday sunset. This was a very, very significant, it's one of the original 10 commandments, a huge deal for the Jews. Um, God rested on the seventh day of creation. Uh, and so he commanded the, the Jews to do likewise. And so Orthodox Jews, they do not do any work of any kind from sundown Friday until sundown Saturday night. Now, this is not a sermon about the you know, Christian practice of resting or Sabbath or whatever, but for what it's worth, because I know this question is going to come up, in my opinion, you know, as Christians, we're not under the Jewish law, and so um, keeping the Sabbath is not a requirement, but, but I think we would be better off in the church if we applied some of the Sabbath principles um, in our community, I, it's just my own opinion uh, that it would be worth something to consider. Um, but in their world, it was like a command. And during, during my trip to Israel that I went on in May, we spent a couple of hours with this delightful rabbi. His name was Moshe. 
And Moshe's reverence for the Sabbath was deeply evident. Like it was, it was moving. It was so powerful in his life. He described it as a weekly sanctuary of time and space. Doesn't that sound good? Wouldn't you like to have a weekly sanctuary of time and space? You can do that, by the way. Um, He also said that practicing the Sabbath is an art form. The final picture looks different depending on who's painting. It's all art, but the application of how people practice the Sabbath is different. So like for him, he, he, he personally creates this sanctuary of time and space by avoiding certain things and then by being intentional about other things instead. And so he, he was talking about he avoids, he, he, he turns off his cell phone and he hides it and he doesn't travel anywhere and he doesn't cook and he doesn't, there's certain things that he doesn't do that are normally part of his day. And then instead he, 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 he spends time studying God's word and with his family and with his community. And one of the things he said, I wrote this down. He said, I always try to find a way to enjoy something uniquely on the Sabbath that I wouldn't be able to make room for on the, you know, within the regular rhythm of my life. And so for the other members of his community, they all participate in this Sabbath. It looks a little different for each person, but everyone recognizes this is a huge command um, in their world. And then God also says, love your neighbor. And so that's where you have two significant commands. How do they interact with one another? What if your neighbor needs help that requires work that you normally wouldn't do on the Sabbath. Do you violate the Sabbath in order to help your neighbor? Or do you say, hey, gonna have to wait till Sunday. Neighbor, can't help you today, right? And so Jesus is faced with a choice here. He's got multiple options. He's gonna have to make a decision. Should I heal this man on the Sabbath? Now the Pharisees, they did everything they could to try to remain holy, right? Pharisee, that word means separated one, right? Their goal was to be distinct, to to be separate, right? So they had very tight standards. Um, And keeping the Sabbath was uh, the second most commandment. Other than loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength, um, the keeping of the Sabbath was like their, it was like their baby. That was their decision-making grid, right? And so they were watching Jesus closely so they could assess his decision-making grid. Now, we do the same thing. It's easy for us to look back and be like, these guys are weird. What are they doing? Uh, At the height of COVID, I heard from a variety of Christian people who were facing tough choices. Should we do this or that? I mean, COVID just gave us a lot of new things that we had to decide, right? And um, they were applying biblical principles to their circumstances, which is a good practice. And the reason they were doing that is because there are no explicit commands in the Bible that directly address something like COVID. It's not like, okay, when the pandemic starts, turn to 2 Thessalonians 12, and then just run the playbook. You know, you just kind of read through it, and here's how to wear a mask here, and then you do the vaccine or whatever, don't, or whatever it might be. That's That's not what the Bible provides for us. We're applying broader biblical principles into this specific scenario. And the tension that I observed around me 
in the Christian world and in our own church community uh, came when individual decision-making grids didn't line up with one another, right? People prioritize different biblical commands differently. It's like one person would say to me, you know, the Bible says obey your governing authorities. And another would say, well, the Bible says we should, we should protect the vulnerable. And another would say, well, the Bible says we should gather together. And another person would say, well, the Bible says we should walk with wisdom. We should love our neighbor. And there was all these different sort of imprints coming uh, from different directions, but it depended on how different people sort of prioritized those commands. They arrived at different decisions on how to actually live out, how to make their decisions, how our community should make decisions. And very much like here in Mark 3, Christians were watching one another closely to see, ooh, does, is, is his grid or hers consistent with my, ah, they're, they're wearing a mask or they didn't get the vaccine or they, whatever, specific, it just got a little quieter in here too. This, I'm sorry for, you know, this is just what happened, right? And so often these conversations lacked the needed grace the, the, the nuance that was involved, the, the unique situations that different people found themselves in. And something similar is happening here in this synagogue, except the difference is that Jesus is one of the people in the story. And he is God. And so he sets the standard. We are Christian people. And so we follow the way of Jesus. If he says, this is the way you prioritize, and we all have these grids, right, about how we make decisions. We may not be conscious of them, but we're all running every decision through a series of filters, right? Um, some people's entire grid is, is it going to make me the most comfortable I possibly can be in the moment? That's their primary grid. If it's uncomfortable, I'm going to avoid doing it at all costs. Some people are like, no, 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 no. I am going to spend as much time with that person as I possibly can. And I'm going to give up all these other people if I have to do that. You know, so we have, we all have these grids, but Jesus is in the room. He's the standard setter uh, for us as followers of Christ. In Matthew 22, it says, Jesus said the whole law can be summed up in this, that loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's his summary statement of this is, for, for, for those who are going to follow me, that's the starting point for your decision-making grid. First, does this choice I'm about to make flow out of my reverence for God? Does it bring him glory? Does it stain his name in any way? And then second, am I loving others? Am I prioritizing my neighbor out of love for her or for him. My wife and I found ourselves in the situation uh, is with a, a family member of ours who, who doesn't live anywhere near here. And um, it's like a plane flight away where they live. And so um, this, this woman, her husband uh, went into the emergency room and um, they, um, his wife contacted my wife, Laura, and said, hey, can you come down and visit him in the emergency room? She said, I don't do emergency rooms. And we were like, well, nobody does emergency rooms. 
Like, that's not the right question, <laughs> right? Um, and uh, there are people who work in the medical field, doctors and nurses. I have such deep admiration. Most of us, when we go into a hospital, we feel profoundly uncomfortable. We go in there because of the person, right? It's not like, oh, I, lo- I love being here. It's like, I love you and you're in here. And so I will be here with you, right? Is that making sense? And so um, I had this conversation with my wife. I was like, We've never talked about this, but if I go into the emergency room, like you come with me, right? And like vice versa, we, we, that's, that's our deal, right? Okay, I'm just making sure. And we're like, all right, we're on the same page with that. Okay. Because that felt like, you know, just a different, different grid, right? Than we were thinking that we had. And so it's that prioritization out of love, right? That, 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 that um, Jesus calls for. And as we step back into Mark 3, Jesus is very clear what his priority is, and it's consistent with his stated decision-making grid and the way he lived his life every single day. He told the man with the shriveled hand, stand before us. Now, I would really like to see the YouTube video of that. They're in this entire synagogue. Maybe just like if I just pointed at you right over there and said, hey, you come right over here, and I want you to stand right here, withered hand guy right? That's what happened in this synagogue service. I don't know if the guy said anything or if he was like, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I would do it because my hand is withered. I would love to have Jesus help me out right now. Then he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. So that's what's known in the world of, 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 uh, questions is a a rhetorical question, I believe, is what that is. Jesus was excellent at these. This is so obvious that there's no answer needed, right? Is Is it better, of course, to do something good or something evil? Does that question even need to be answered? Or to save someone's life or to kill a life, right? I mean, I would say, well done to the Pharisees for reading the room. They just stay silent. They're like, we don't... Uh, we're, we, we're, we, Jesus has got us here, right? Now we make this, time, this choice all the time, these kinds of choices in our culture. We prioritize good and, and life and love. Uh, uh, one of my, my pet peeves, and this happened even more so, uh, became in, into my uh, just awareness because uh, we had a a son who had an amputated leg. He was in a wheelchair. He was disabled. And so all of the handicap access stuff, we have agreed as a society that we are going to mandate that this is provided because this is a vulnerable part of our population. And we're all like, this is good, right? Everybody in here is like, we should do that. Absolutely. That population of people needs a different kind of access. We must engage and serve that group of people. We have collectively agreed of that. And so like, if you go to, you know, a a restaurant, someone just like pulls into the handicap space and they run in and everything, it drives me crazy. I'm like, that's the exact reason why it's there is for you to leave that empty for a person who actually needs it, right? Or whatever. Except like if the person in the car is like bleeding out, then they can use the space, right? I mean, they can park on the sidewalk, they could park on the roof. They could do whatever. I mean, the, 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 the life that's being in jeopardy supersedes, right? These other important 
caring, you know what I mean? And you see how these different things, sometimes this, uh, the, the, they, they come over the top of one another, these ways we prioritize things. If someone's life, I was just telling somebody in the lobby, they were telling me about their hand, they broke it, falling off a ladder, and I was like, I'm never gonna get on a ladder ever again in my entire life. It's not gonna happen, not even the first rung. Unless someone was like on the roof dying, and then I would go climb up their nobum. You know what I mean? I mean, so we have sort of, that's, that's kind of what's going on here, right? And so the Pharisees are like, well, when you put it that way, Jesus, we're just going to say nothing, <laughs> right? And then verse five, after looking around them at them with anger, Jesus is like legitimately furious. And it's because he knows of the hardness of their hearts. He was grieved at the hardness of their hearts. And he told the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against Jesus, how they might kill him. That's crazy. Think about the tension there. Jesus is just angry. The Pharisees are literally in a murderous rage. <laughs> I mean, I so want the story to say, see, you know, seeing the miracle that Jesus did and recognizing that he was in fact the son of God, the Pharisees apologized for their rigid perspective and, 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 and their, their minds were transformed into, into prioritizing loving people and healing people and serving people. And they, they serve, and it was just this, they joined the Jesus movement, all that, but that's not what happened. They kept stumbling with choices because their decision-making grid was not the same as Jesus's decision-making grid. And we have the same kind of stumbles. So how can we grow in this area of our lives? There's a million ways, I think, that we stumble with choices. Here's six to consider, and then we will worship and, and take communion together as a church family. First, we stumble when we don't take the time to develop a correct biblical filter. We just don't know the Bible well enough. We don't know the commands, the principles, the promises. And so what ends up happening is when we're faced with a decision, we just react, right? We just kind of do what's instinctive, which is very dangerous because we're always battling our sin nature. We need God's wisdom to be involved. Otherwise, our sinful instincts might prevail. If you think back to that situation where you made a bad decision earlier in your life, I bet you a lot of you, there was, you reacted rather than measured out against the truth of God's will or, or God's wisdom and the, God's word and, you know, sought advice from, you know what I mean? It was just a lot of our bad decisions come from that. In, in Proverbs 14, it says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Right? So we have to take the time to invest in developing a biblical understanding and worldview. And so that can help us to develop more consistency in our decision making. A couple of examples of, of some verses that just kind of tend to reverberate back for me that I've studied in the past. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. 
All things are lawful, but not all things build up. In other words, just because something is permissible doesn't mean it's best, right? It might not build up. It might be loving towards another person. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm, which needs no commentary at all. Hebrews 13, 5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence or if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And so you see the Bible provides consistent sideboards and guidance and principles that we can apply in, am, you know, I'm in this situation, I have this choice, am I, am I really reflecting on this in an honorable way, in a true way, in a commendable way. Secondly, we stumble when we're very aware of the commands and principles that apply, but we choose to ignore them, right? Sometimes we just, we know what the Bible says. We know what we want to do. And we're like, you know what? I'm going to gossip anyway. I'm going to stay angry. I'm not going to forgive. I'm going to whatever it might be. That's what's defined in the Bible as sin. Like I said earlier, James 4, 17, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Thirdly, we stumble when we rank God, others, and self incorrectly. We mix the priorities up, right? Jesus is clear in his teaching. Love the Lord your God is first. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so is God prioritized really, or does he just get the leftovers? Do I serve others sacrificially, or is it really just when it's convenient, or when I can get some kind of, you know, some, some kudos for it? Those are big questions for Christians. Fourthly, we stumble when we hold a harsh assessment of the choices other people make around debatable issues, Right? It's a huge area of stumbling. We think this person's decision-making grid isn't the same as mine, but there's lots of different ways. It's not a biblical command. It's not anything that's, it's just, you know, kind of preference kind of stuff. In Romans 14, one says, welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. In fact, I would encourage you to read all of Romans 14. And you may want to go back and listen to the sermon Pastor Noel uh, gave on that chapter. That's the one with the buckets that he had here up on the stage. Uh, all of you are going, yep, I remember that one. That stretched, stretched all of us, and I think that's a good step. But that's an area of stumbling that we have to deal with. And then these last two, I think, are, are, are really important. We stumble when we obsess about choices we've made in the past that had unfavorable outcomes, but, but it was through no fault of our own. We had no control over it. They're innocent choices. So like anybody who's been in a car accident, like, like what your tendency to do, at least mine is, I've not been in one in a long time. So um, uh, is to replay like all the choices that you made that led up to you being the timing, right? You're like, oh, why did I take College Road? Oh my gosh, you can't take College Road. It's so stupid. I should have been on Hagedorn. You know, I should have, you know, or whatever. If that biker hadn't have been right in front of me, then I wouldn't have slowed down and I wouldn't have had to. And you start to, and you, that, that rabbit hole is just so deep, 
right? That you just don't want to go there, right? Accidents happen. It wasn't caused by this, you know what I mean? These are just random choices we make, but some people, they really get stuck on that. Like, am I really in every single little decision? You could go Hagedorn, you could go college, you could do a lot of different things and be doing the right thing. Sometimes it just, a regrettable thing ends up happening. The last piece though, we stumble when we underestimate the scope of God's grace. So this is when we have regret because our sinful decisions have caused the unwelcome outcomes in our lives, right? We've all had that experience. It's something we knew better or we could have done differently or we intentionally did. And that's what caused the separation in this relationship or the addiction or the legal problems or the financial problems or I was reckless, I was careless, I, was, I wasn't following God's plan. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't. And, and, and there are people in this room that are just consumed with regret, with guilt, with shame. And we must never underestimate the scope of God's grace. God's grace is immeasurable beyond our imagination. That is the gospel. That in those moments where we absolutely intentionally stray from God's plan for our lives and we experience the consequences that his grace covers that sin. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In, in, in my phone every day, I'm on my phone with me, uh, at noon, just in about four minutes, there's a, a little notification that pops up. It's just Romans chapter eight, verse one. And the verse pops up. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I get that reminder every single day at noon. Now, some days I swipe and go and move on and everything like that, just like we do with other. But there's some days that I open that thing up and I go, I'm not condemned. Man, I was feeling it. I was... I was feeling the weight of my sin. Are you drowning in regret? Do you know that you're not condemned? I mean, really know that. In Christ, there is no condemnation. Do you remember the sacrifice Jesus made for you on the cross? Let's pray. Lord, there's so much in this conversation. I mean, just so many choices that are thrown our way every single day. We pray that you would give us your wisdom, that we would seek the truth of your word, that we would follow the example of your son in how we live and how we make choices, that our priority would be to bring you glory in everything that we do. And for those in this room, Lord, who are, are dealing with regret of, of lost things because of the choices they've made, we're so grateful that your grace is bigger. We're so grateful that your son, we don't need to keep dying uh, because of those things because your son has already died for us.
And uh, we thank you in his name. Amen.